they're not the typical, though there's some blanks to fill in, they're not the typical bullet point sermons or sermon notes. They really are a synopsis of the message. Spend a lot of time going over it and putting it together in 25, 30 minutes and delivering it. You're hearing it for the very first time. I've spent two weeks with it. And I want you to process it. A lot of what I'm going to share this morning is really powerful information using Acts chapter 8 as a foundation. But at one point or the other, we're all going to be where we're talking about this morning. And, and so I want you to take it home and kind of walk through it. And, and I know that not every one of you think about it. And tomorrow you've got work and a lot going on in your family and kids going to school. But when you do and want to walk through it, that's why it's in that format. And I encourage you to walk through it as well. Because it asked some really tough questions. When I looked at it and, and wrote it a few weeks ago and then realized what these last couple of weeks have held in our own life, it's really what a lot of us live through at one point or the other. When I entitled it, When Things Don't Go As Planned, I wanted to ask that question. Have you ever had those seasons in life or times of life or weeks of life where things didn't go as planned? And then this last week, we've had one of those, interestingly enough. And I shared to you last Sunday morning, our son, grandson fell and got hurt, came home on Monday with a concussion, and fortunately, the doctors released him immediately and then said, make sure you keep him quiet for two weeks. How you do that with a four-year-old is beyond my imagination, so Aaron brought him to us. <laughs> yeah, that didn't help either, but my week didn't go as planned, and maybe many times yours doesn't go as well. I don't know if you've ever experienced it, but I wrote it there, and, and the question is this, have you ever had anything bad happen? I mean, really bad happen to you or someone you know. And if I were to ask you to raise your hand this morning, most of you would say that. You usually don't say it out loud, but at times when we walk through those deep, dark experiences, we wonder what God is doing, and we will ask him, why? Did you mean for this to happen? God, I read your book. I read Job. And I realized in the process, even though Job didn't understand what was going on, you gave the enemy permission to allow that to happen. And so I want to really be honest with you for a moment, God. Did you give permission for this? I know you know everything. I know nothing slips by your knowledge. It's not like you didn't know. So can I be really honest and vulnerable just for a moment? You gave permission for this? I love this man. I love that woman. I love that little boy, that little girl. You ever ask that? You don't have to raise your hand, but if you're really honest, probably at least thought it. And then even a bigger question that I have written there for you this morning is, when it happens, if it's happened to you, and it's really big, not just the normal occurrences of life that we all go through difficult times, and Scripture says it rains on the just and the unjust, and it got wet, but I'm talking about a really downpour in your life when you didn't have an umbrella and you weren't prepared for that and you never saw it coming and you feel like the wind just blew the sails away from your boat not just simply moved it a little bit there aren't no sails left have you ever had your faith shaken as a result of that maybe you didn't lose it and maybe you didn't walk away and didn't turn your back on god but did it shake your faith Apostle Paul said in 1 Corinthians 13, near the end, which is one of those famous sections of Scripture that we call the love passage. I read part of it in almost every wedding, and it was not intended for that. It was intended to be written to a church going through a crisis who really didn't like one another. Going through some tough times, they were sharing life together, even doing communion together, but they didn't get along. 
And Paul said, look, I need to stop just for a moment, remind you what genuine love is all about. Pastor Bob did a great job a few weeks ago talking about love. And, and Paul said, look, let me remind you what genuine love in the body of Christ looks like. And then he writes 1 Corinthians 13. It's patient, it's kind, and tender. Near the end of that, he said, to be honest with you, at times I feel like I'm looking through a dark glass. I know there's something on the other side, and I know it's going to be really good on the other side, but right now I don't see that. You ever been there? It looks like you can partially see something on the other side, and if nothing else, I know the promises of God are true, and he really is there, and he's going to walk with me. He said he'd never leave me and forsake me, but right now I feel like I'm alone, and it's pretty dark. I did know that Paul said it's going to clear up and I promise you the fog will go away and the mist will take off and you'll be able to see eventually, maybe not in this life, but in the next one. But for right now, all I've got is questions. I don't have a lot of answers. Questions from last week's sermon. Stephen died. Now that doesn't make sense to me. If I were living this for the very first time and I saw this fresh guy start out with passion and power and thunder and preach sermons like no one else did, for me, just in my imagination, that wouldn't have been the best idea God came up with at that moment, to have him stoned to death. Matter of fact, I'm still trying to figure out why God let Peter and John go through the beatings. I mean, all they wanted to do was preach the gospel. That's really what they were doing. I get it. You said it's going to be tough. But beatings like that? And now Stephen, it doesn't make sense. And I have to believe, and again, maybe I'm the only one, but if I were sitting in a church in Jerusalem right at that particular point and sitting like you do on Sunday morning and that just happened and all of a sudden the pastor came in and he said, look, that great new pastor that we had, that deacon who was just starting out, who loved God and was really preaching with power and thunder, by the way, just got stoned to death. Now, if that was one of the announcements and it wasn't about a bulletin insert, wouldn't you wonder, what in the world? Why? why? Got to believe they wondered the same case. This guy was really excited. Brand new, just starting church. And now this. It's funny, a couple of weeks ago when I wrote that statement, the, the next thought that came through my mind about just starting out is a lot of the guys that I've known through life. A lot of the people who started out serving in ministry who loved God, loved people, loved the church, and just couldn't wait to serve somewhere or the other. A man or a woman who was just in their first or second year of ministry, all of a sudden in the middle of that, found themselves beaten up by religious people sitting in a pew and disillusioned by ministry and church and everything else that went with that. And I remembered that and I thought about it, so I asked Eve, my administrative assistant, I said, look some stats up for me because I think it's pretty true. And she did and found out that it was true as to what I kind of thought happened, and that is that 50% of those who go into ministry quit within the first five years. Half. Realize how blessed we've been to have all the people that we have on our staff for so long? 50% of them leave ministry within the first five years. One, only one out of 10 who start ministry ever finish as a minister. That's less than 10% make it to the end. 1,700 quit a month. That's a lot of people beaten up. By people, or by the church, or by something else. As we move on, I, I've seen other people, not beaten up by the church, just simply dying a prime of life. People and missionaries, people who are serving God, cut down in a prime of life with cancer. Missionaries killed while serving God. Jim Elliott and his four friends in 1956 
killed by the Aka Indians of South America, the very people they went to minister to is the ones that killed them. That wouldn't have made sense to me if I were wanting to start a brand new ministry in South America in the early 50s. Jim Elliott's the one who wrote that great line, he is no fool who to give what he cannot keep, to gain what he cannot lose. I grew up in the 60s, and there are two things I remember about the 60s, that where were you when kind of thing. I remember exactly where I was when JFK was killed, and I remember exactly where I was when the missionaries died in South Vietnam in 1968 at the Bamatuit invasion. And now I'm 60, and I still remember that. That didn't make sense to me. And then when I began to think about it, I realized that what I'm reading here in the book of Acts where it says, if you just as if you didn't think things could get worse, all of a sudden there's persecution everywhere and the entire church is scattered. And then I watched Fox News the other night and I thought, wow, 2,000 years later, the same thing's taking place. I read these first few verses in the book of Acts chapter 8 and realized I could have turned on the news and seen the same thing. This week I got a newsletter from the Alliance, from the CNMA that we're a part of. And I get a lot of information from a lot of organizations around the planet. And certainly I watch a lot of news programs. And on my iPad, or just, I'm, I, I'm a news junkie and I read them all. And we watch Fox News and I'm seeing all the things taking place. And Christians all over the world being persecuted. And it just blows my mind. The Ebola virus in Africa, nation after nation, hundreds of people dying. Two servants of God who love Jesus, who just went there to serve and Samaritan's Purse trying to get out and get home and serve the people they were there to serve, only to contact the very disease they were trying to eliminate. Drew and Lindsay Hall. Lindsay grew up here in our church. Drew's been here as well and serving in Guinea and for a month or so and trying to get out when all of this unrest was taking place. And then Ebola came. And, and then all of a sudden I read another article from what's going on in the Middle East from the CMA, and it said tens of thousands of people have been harmed, displaced, or killed in recent weeks. Partner churches in the Alliance report widespread suffering. In one case, nearly all the members of a church have fled to another city. A number of years ago, we had Gassan Thomas here, pastor of the Baghdad Alliance Church, one of the most powerful speakers I've ever heard. Churches our size, a 1,000 people, hardly exist today. Many have said you cannot be a Christian and live in Iraq at all, especially in northern Iraq. Now, we read the news, and we somewhat get a little bit disoriented with the term Christian. And for a lot of cases, when the news is being reported, Christian means opposite of Islam. And if you're not Islamic, you're a Christian. And, and so sometimes that can get misconstrued. But there are a lot of people who have given their lives and really don't even know why. And when I read all of that, I realized we're reading a book that's 2,000 years old, a story that's happened 2,000 years ago, but it could have happened yesterday. I'm going to get back to Stephen's story. I don't understand, God. I know, Jesus, you said you were going to build your church and the gates of hell wouldn't stand against us, but I didn't think this is how you do it. But he does. And he wants us to learn from it. And so as we unpack chapter 8, I want you to walk through it with me this morning because i got to believe that we're going to have many times more questions than answers in life. I think it's important that we're really honest about that. On that day, that very day that Stephen was killed, Saul, that you'll see come into play in a few weeks, approving of his killing, on that very day, a great persecution broke out against the church in Jerusalem. And all except the apostles were scattered throughout Judea and Samaria. Now, when you read the word all, remember, we've been in this journey for the last few weeks. All is a lot of people. 
3,000 on the first day, and it just probably was men. So four or 5,000 people came to faith in Christ. I mean, four or five times as big as this church. And then a few chapters later, another 5,000 come to Christ. And then it says in chapter 6, when it pleased everybody that Stephen and all these guys were distributing and carrying out the load, that many more came to faith in Christ. Even priests began to believe. So we're talking a lot of people when it says all. All of them had to leave because of the persecution except for the apostles. Godly men buried Stephen, and they mourned deeply for him. But Saul, again, you'll hear him more about him, more about him in a few weeks, but Saul began to destroy the church, not just a church, the church. He went from house to house, and he dragged off both men and women, and he put them in prison. That was this week in Syria, in northern Africa. Instead of Peter and John's beatings in your sermon notes and Stephen's death being the worst could get, it got worse. They're running for their lives. You've got to wonder what they're thinking. You certainly know they're hurting. Verse 2 indicates they were. It says they mourned him deeply. And when I read that, I realized that it's okay to grieve. I believe it's okay to ask why. You may not agree with me, and I understand that, and that's all right. But I know it's okay to grieve. God can handle it when we tell him how we feel. He's handled it all the way down through the ages. Certainly handled it with Moses and Jacob and David. I love David for a lot of reasons. A man after God's own heart. But David at times says, God, were you paying attention? God, are you wait? I would never say that to God. I wouldn't have said that to my dad without knowing that I'm going to pay a price dearly for that, let alone to God. Are you paying attention, God? Are you awake? Do you know what just happened? Like God would say, no, I didn't. I missed that one. Of course he knew. Jeremiah, I mean, you can't get any more honest with God than Jeremiah. I think he can handle it. Where it gets dangerous in your notes is when it shakes our faith. Because my faith can't be dependent on everything going well or my being able to understand everything that God's doing behind the scenes. The thing that also amazes me in this story is verse 4. Look at it for me with, with me for a moment. Now, all this just took place, and it says those who have been scattered, which is whom? Everybody, except the apostles, preached the word wherever they went. King James Version at the beginning of that says, therefore. And therefore is always there for a reason in in a section of Scripture. It's there to remind us of what just took place. In light of what just happened, these people went everywhere preaching the gospel. I'm going, you're kidding In light of what they just saw with Stephen dying, I'm sure they heard about Peter and John being beaten and put in prison. In light of this persecution and Saul arresting everybody he could get his hands on and throwing him in prison, in light of all of that, they go everywhere they are preaching the good news. Now, preaching the word here in this verse is a little bit different than what I do on Sunday morning or what Peter did in Acts chapter 2. That word is proclaim. This context in verse 4, when it says preach the word, simply means they shared the good news. They shared the good news about Christ. (laughs) And when I read that, I said to myself, what were they sharing? We lost everything. We're running for our lives. They're trying to kill us. Want to join our church? (laughs) We've lost everything. We're running for our lives. Everybody wants to kill us. Want to join? Come on. It'll be great. How do you respond when things don't go as planned? How do you respond when it doesn't go like we thought it would? Jesus said, I'll build my church. The gates of hell won't stop against it. So I assume it's going to go forever and be amazing. And now this. How do you respond to the unknown dark days of life? I have a little excerpt 
in your sermon this morning from Rick Warren's Purpose Driven Life. And if you know anything about Rick Warren, that book's been around for a long time. Listen to what he wrote then and think in your mind about what he just went through this last year in the loss of his son. He says this, God's, omniscient, or God's omnipresence and the manifestation of his presence are two different things. One is a fact, the other is a feeling. God's always present, even when I am unaware of him. And his presence is too profound to be measured by mere emotion. He wants you to sense his presence, but what he's more concerned is that you trust him when you don't. That's a huge statement. He wants you to feel his presence, but what he's more concerned about is that you continue to trust him even when you don't. The situations that are going to stretch your faith more are those at times when life falls apart and I can't hear at all from God and he seems to be nowhere to be found. On a single day, Job lost everything. His family, his business, his health, everything he owned. And what was most discouraging, if I'd have been in his place for 37 chapters, God says nothing. How do you praise when you don't understand what's happening in your life and God seems silent? How do you keep your eyes on Jesus when they're full of tears? Well, one answer is to do what Job did. Pour your hearts out to him. Unload every emotion you have. God can handle our doubt and fear and grief and confusion and questions. But always remember that regardless of the circumstances and how we feel, hang on with every fiber of your being to God's unchanging character. I have notes to myself. Some are very old, given to me by dear ladies that I loved and adored who have gone on to the kingdom of God. I'll put them on my computer, some on my office wall. And one is along this line. Remind yourself every day what's be eternally true about God. He is good. He loves me. He's with me. And he knows what I'm going through. And he really, really does care. And then this classic line, never, ever doubt in the dark. What you know about God is true in the light. And what you know about God that's true in the light are these things. He is good. He loves me. He's with me. He'll never leave me or forsake me. He's always by my side. During those times of dryness when you wonder where God is, I need to remind you, and maybe I need to remind myself, that sometimes through that process, God may be taking me to a deeper level of maturity that he couldn't take in me otherwise had I not gone through this. Circumstances will never change the character of God. His grace is still in force. He still is with us even if we don't feel it. This trust in God's word caused Job to remain faithful even though nothing in his life ever made sense. And then I'm reminded of something I learned a long time ago, that if God never, ever does anything else for me or ever does anything else for you, he still deserves our constant, continual praise for the rest of our lives because of what Jesus did on the cross. Even before his crucifixion, the Son of God was stripped, beaten, whipped, scorned, mocked, crowned with thorns, and spit upon. Abused and ridiculed, almost unconscious, forced to carry his cross up a hill, nailed to it, and then left to die. With a life draining out of him, Heckler stood by and shouted insults, making fun of his pain and challenging his claims to be God. Words can't describe how dark that moment was. Life and heaven and earth tried to visualize it when everything went dark. But words are not able to fully explain what it was like from Christ's vantage point or God's vantage point to do what he did to allow what took place to watch it unfold. Do you ever wonder why? Those of you who know Christ know why. 
Why did God allow all that to take place, such ghastly, evil mistreatment? Why? So you and I, if we embrace Christ as Savior, could be spared from eternity in hell, and because of Jesus, could share all eternity with Him in glory. So even in the midst of all of those questions and all of that uncertainty, I realize if he never does another thing and never answers another prayer, with what I know now he's already done for me, I should be good. I don't know about you, but every once in a while I need to remember that while all heaven was silent, God's greatest gift of redemption was taking place on the cross. Sometimes the way God builds his church, both biblically and historically, is through suffering and persecution. I don't always understand it, but at times God accomplishes his purpose best in the world through difficulty, suffering, and pain. And how we respond to that. Look again at verse 1 of chapter 8. On that day, great persecution grows out, broke out against the church in Jerusalem. And all but the apostles, all but those few, were scattered throughout Judea and Samaria. Do you ever remember that phrase coming into play before? In the very first chapter. Matter of fact, interestingly enough, this is Acts 8.1. In Acts 1.8, Jesus said, look, this is my challenge to you. I want you to take this gospel everywhere you go. I want you to start here in Jerusalem, but eventually I want you to take it to Judea, Samaria, and ultimately to the ends of the earth. And they thought, okay, that's great. We're, that's awesome. But boy, we really like church the way it is right now. So we're going to stay. <laughs> I mean, look, everybody's needs are getting met. Church is growing by the thousands. People are coming to faith in Christ. It's an awesome thing to be a part of. The worship is amazing. We love what we're doing. Every time we have a need, we just go to somebody and tell them what it is, and somebody sells a tract of land and, or a tract of land, and all of a sudden our needs are met. And This is awesome. I just want to stay right here. God says, well, I thought exactly what I told you to do. Remember what I told you to do? Jerusalem, then Judea, then Samaria, to the uttermost parts of the earth. Take the good news everywhere you go. I don't know whether it's fully accurate or not, but it's interesting. When they didn't, he said, okay, I'm going to have to push you a little bit. And all of a sudden, Acts 8.1 is the opposite of what happened in Acts 1.8, but eventually the results are the same. And they did do exactly what he asked them to do. Saul, in verse 3, thought he was going to put the fire out. Instead, he just spread it all over the place. And the story is incredible. When I read it, and again, I, I'm always trying to put myself in that place, and I want to be as honest as I know how. And when I read this whole story, and I realized that because of what they did and the fact they carried this gospel message to the end of the earth, you and I have been recipients of that. Somebody shared the faith there in 2000, or A.D. 37 and 49 and 52 and year 2000 or 1000 and 2000 and in my case, 1965, I heard the story of Jesus Christ and I committed my life to him. And somewhere along the way, you had the same story. And it was really as a result of what they did. It was a result of this continuing to take place down through the ages that you and I have the same privilege of coming to faith in Christ. And so when I look at this simple section of Scripture, I think that's awesome that they were willing to do that and keep on good newsing everywhere they went so that I could hear the gospel. And then all of a sudden, the Spirit of God said, but would you? <laughs> Then my hand came down. I mean, how many times have you said, look, all those disciples split on Jesus, not me. Had I been there, I'd have been with him till the end. I'd have never done what Peter did. Come on. Have you ever said that? Or thought, boy, you guys are really spiritual. I must be the only one that's a 
pagan at times when I'm thinking, but I said that. I, I'd have never done what those guys did. And I, but boy, when I look at this, I, I wonder, could I stay as committed? Would I stay as committed? Would I spread the news everywhere I go? And would I stay as committed and focused to Christ as if this were my story and not theirs? You see, it's one thing to see this as a great story, but what if it were your story or my story? How would it look then? What would I do if I lost everything, my home, my career, my family, my friends? Would I go good newsing then? How did they do that? They didn't live in denial of their pain. Verse 2 tells me they really grieved. They didn't run around saying, the sun will come out tomorrow. They didn't listen to their dad's advice. And every dad, when your kids get down, you tell them what? Get back up, brush it off, put some duct tape on it, and keep on going. Don't cry. Oh, it was only my dad? Your dad never said that? My brother has cut more body parts than anybody should ever imagine in a lifetime and says duct tape fixes everything. I mean, he's gone to the emergency room with his hands duct taped. And dads always tell sons that. Get up, brush the dirt off, get back on your feet and keep on going. Never cry, never whine about it. Not what they did. The other thing this teaches me is that sometimes i got to remember that one of the marks of God's love and power isn't things always going right. And everybody getting healed or people coming to faith in Christ where there's no problems and no issues. When things don't go as planned, I need to look at myself and be really honest about how I would react. Sometimes we never say it out loud, but I've heard people say, I can't believe God did this. They served Him so long and so faithfully. Why would He let this happen as if God owed us a life without difficulty and a life totally free from cancer or pain? And He doesn't. Jesus said, to be really honest with you, I want you to know right up front, if you decide to follow me, it's going to be hard. Matter of fact, if you decide to follow me, they're not going to like you because of me. You're going to face difficulty, persecution, and pain. In Matthew 10, he said, look, I'm sending you out like sheep to the wolves. So do you want to stay faithful? Do you want to follow me? I get it. But I just want you to know right up front what it's going to cost. Now, American Christians aren't always familiar with that, and we really don't even know what it looks like, and we're not sure if we could do it, but it's an honest question that Jesus has been asking down through the ages. Could you do that? Could I do that? Because that's sometimes what really does happen when you decide to follow Christ. Matter of fact, near the end of the Gospels, uh, teaching got harder and harder near the end of his ministry, and he looked at all of those who were following him. It was certainly more than 12. He began to raise the bar and say how hard it's going to get, and A lot of people, you can almost see the crowd in a quiet moment beginning to disperse all over the place and kind of disappear into the woods or into the desert somewhere. And I I still love, I know I've used it a thousand times, but I still love when Jesus said to the disciples, you leave in two, and Peter said, where would we go? You have the answers to life. Jesus said, it's going to get hard, it's going to get tough, but I promise you I'll be with you to the very end. For some of you, it may get really hard. But trust me, even when you don't see me. And I find myself asking, do I need to change my thinking to make sure that I could do that, especially living in America with what we believe is our inalienable rights? It's not always going to go that well or that way. This text also causes us in your nose to examine our motives, to be really sure 
that when I'm sharing Christ and I'm passionate about him, that everything I do is for him and for him alone, and that my passion is greater for, in your notes, his kingdom than my own. These people go about good newsing everywhere they go, despite their pain, despite the difficulty, and I find myself asking the question, would I do that as well? Would I do that here when things, aren't, when things would st- are still going well and God's doing amazing things and people are coming to faith in Christ and the ministries are awesome? Every once in a while, a text like this causes me just to stop and make sure. It also has an interesting little sidebar to it that you don't see here, but it's really obvious. And that is this, when one soldier goes down, which is Stephen, God raises another one up, which we'll discover next week, or in a couple of weeks, is Philip. And I find myself asking, am I okay with that? God delights in using us, and he welcomes us home when he's done with us, and then he raises another person up and replaces that, and I have to ask myself, is that okay? That he'll use me until he's done with me, and then he'll take me home and welcome me home. And, and I'm, I'm not irreplaceable, nor is anyone else, and I'm, I'm okay. I'll follow you to the end, and when you're done, take me home. The women at the cross were some of the ones who followed Jesus with the purest of motives. They were there not for what they could get. They were there for what they could give. Paul, who has, as you'll discover in a few weeks, will be radically transformed by the gospel of Christ, Eventually, the same one that is killing people in this section of Scripture will say, to be really honest with you, I suffer the loss of everything for the sake of the gospel of Christ. And that verse is a whole lot easier to quote than to live. Later in Corinthians, a verse that I have in your notes say, look, man, this is hard. We're hard-pressed on every side. We're not crushed. We're perplexed. We're not in despair. We're persecuted, but we're not abandoned. We're struck down, but not destroyed. We always carry around in our body the death of Jesus. Why? So that the life of him will be revealed in us, that we'll keep on good newsing wherever we go. This text confronts our core beliefs about what God owes us and also challenges us to make sure that our faith is founded on Christ, not what happens to us or what we understand about what God is doing. You'll also notice that the good news is spread everywhere they go. And people are coming to faith in Christ, not because they went to hear Stephen or Peter or Philip. Winning the world doesn't always happen because everyone comes to church on Sunday morning. It happens in your notes when those who have been changed by the good news of Christ spread it everywhere they go. When things go well, and even when they don't. A few weeks ago when I was putting all these together, and I'm trying to stay a week or two ahead just my schedule and all of that. And I looked at when we would celebrate communion and I thought, what a perfect day to share communion. When we look at what Jesus did for us on the cross and we talk about whether we could be faithful to the end, it would just be a great way to stop for a moment and reflect. To hold these elements in our hands of what represents what Jesus did for us and bread and the cup, they're extremely simple elements, but they are profound in meaning. And they remind us of what Jesus did for us. And so today, when you hold the bread and hold the cup, I want you to walk through your journey with Jesus and just enjoy it. And then if you're really honest, just for a moment, look at everything we've shared this morning and be honest with God about your own questions and your own struggles. And then say, Lord, I want to be faithful for you and to the very end. So in light of your faith in me and your trust in me and what you did for me, I recommit my life to being faithful to you, even 
in areas that I don't understand. And I'll trust you, even with what I do not know. Father, these elements are incredibly profound. And so as we hold them and sing and celebrate in these moments, would you hear us and allow us to hear you? In Jesus' name, amen. Community stores are going to come and they're going to sing. Uh, you'll notice if you've not been here before. It's in the same tray. So help the people around you.
Father, every time I stand here, I realize that praise thank you seems so small. But I'm so grateful, so delighted that one day the truth was shared. I could find you, be rescued by you, and live forever for you and beyond this life, live forever with you. For all of us in the room who know you as Savior, we're overwhelmed with your gift of love and grace. So we thank you for the cross. We thank you for your great love and that we can be recipients of that. And so, Father, as we take these elements, I trust that we will be like Paul, be found faithful to the end until we see you face to face. Stay committed to you no matter what. Thank you for the models of people down through the ages who've been able to do the same. Maybe said of us. Bread and a cup, share it together. I'm finish with singing that again, and then somebody in the front row is going to help you with your cups. Thank him today. Thank him. Thank you for the
every once in a while up at those pictures because the one of the guy bowing before the cross and then that is why we celebrate the way we do. We serve a risen Savior who someday will welcome us all who know him home. May God bless you with his grace. May it bound in your life overwhelmingly so this week. And may the glory and grace of God fill your home with his praise. May you have a great week. If we can help you in any way or pray with you, I'd love to do that. Otherwise, God bless you. Have a great day, and we'll see you next week.